0: You know, Romans chapter 15, tonight we're going to take a look at verse 30 to 33, and then head on into chapter 16, but, um, you know, the one great thing, I, through the years, you know, um, I've had people who have come here to minister in music, in the word, and without fail, um, the people are always blown away at how receptive church is. I've taught at a number of camps and retreats and other churches, and I've seen it time and time again where the hungriest sheep I know are right here. Hungry to know God's Word, but also hungry to apply God's Word. And I'll tell you, after last Wednesday night talking about laboring in prayer, striving together in prayer, and for us, as the last part was, to pray for me and and Wes, and the leadership of the church, in less than three days, I saw incredible, significant things taking place. In my own life, as well as in the church and the leaders, I mean, it was unreal. And I'm thinking, man, if three days later, people are beginning to pray because of the exhortation from his word, what's going to happen after 300 days as we pray this year? Guys, I, I am confident that the church moves forward on our knees. And that's the way we're going to move forward. And so prayer changes things. It really does. And where people get together and you agree together in prayer, radical. Big difference in the 530 prayer meeting before church. God bless you who came out. I encourage you. If you didn't, come on out. I mean, you're already here two hours Sunday night already. Why not make it two and a half, you know? <clears throat> and... um and then also in the afterglow time, just a sweet time, man. God just—it was just one of the best times in afterglow that uh, I experienced also. So I just know that—that that, uh, truly, uh, hearing God's word and doing it—it's so clear. The man who hears God's word and does it is like the man who builds his house upon the the rock. When the winds and the waves come, it stands firm, because of the doing of God's word. And uh, so I encourage. All of you, don't stop praying. It made a difference. And and maybe some of you took the exhortation and it lasted three or four days and then you thought, well, or just forgot about it. And now you're going, oh, yeah, that's, that's what we spoke on last Wednesday. And, oh, yeah, I forgot about that by Monday to keep praying. But I'm telling you, don't stop. What a difference it made. And so do continue to pray for me. Pray for for the elders of the church, pray for those who are in ministry, laboring. Those who are outside, their are missionaries that we have that come through. Uh, in particular, Greg O'Pain and, and God, what God's doing there. Just talk to him. It's just radical what the Lord's doing. And and uh, Mike Howard in, in England, and uh, as well as uh, Phil over in uh, Hungary also at Kaposvar. Just great words. Continue to pray and ask God to just continue to work through them and many others that we support as well. But here again, Paul had begged them to pray, to strive. Again, that word, to wrestle, and the English equivalent would be to agonize. Uh, it's two guys hooking up and wrestling, or two guys boxing, striving together where? with the Lord. And so again, it's so important that we get that concept To, as he says in Romans 8, the spirit groans within us. To have that groaning, to have that stirring, to have that wrestling, crying out, saying, God, do it. Move that mountain. Lord, work that work. And to not grow weary in well-doing, we'll reap if we faint not. Now, in particular, Paul in verse 31 says in praying for me, number one, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Now, Paul is at Corinth this, this time. He's going to be quickly being led by the Spirit over to Jerusalem. And there he's going to be in prison for a number of years and eventually killed. He doesn't know this at this time. He's not aware of it. All he knows at this time is that there is difficulties uh, Those in Judea area who still hate him, he was again a very well-known person uh, in the hierarchy of the the Jewish government, which was really the civil government there also in Jerusalem and all the area of Judea. He was well-known, Pharisee of Pharisees. He was on his way up the ladder when he became a Christian. And so many people that he imprisoned and, and hated because of the gospel, they were cheering him. Now they have the same desire to imprison him and to kill him. And if you remember, he went to Jerusalem, and there he ended up being arrested. But he also says, not to those who are just not believers, but also my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints also. Remember, there are many still very suspicious of Paul. The first time when Paul came to Jerusalem, no one really greeted him. Barnabas said, hey, I think this guy's sincere. I think he's real. The other Christians, even the apostles, were going, no, I think this is a trap. You know, he's pretending to have got saved to find out who's really who and where they're saying, and and he's going to arrest us all. Barnabas took him and took him on back to Antioch and for three years used him there as a great and fabulous teacher as he was. But now he wants to go back to Jerusalem and he would really like to be accepted by them and and that his ministry would be acceptable. Again, many of the Jews were having a hard time with the fact that Gentiles were accepted. Remember in Galatians, as, as Paul writes and says that when the people came up from Jerusalem, the Jews, Peter would quit eating with the Gentiles and start, you know, saying, I'm kosher and hanging out with the Jews because he just knew how adamant they were. And Peter, the big honcho, the Pope, um, <laughs> not really, but the, the guy who was willing to follow the Lord when everybody else cowered, you know. This tough guy, he was afraid of the Christian Jews. He was afraid of them because of this whole Gentile issue. And Paul finally had to rebuke Peter to his face in front of everybody because he wouldn't repent over this issue. And so he's saying, I know how stubborn these people are. And Abraham Lincoln said, you can please some people some of the times. You can't please all the people all the time. And how true that is. I've also discovered, though, when that root of bitterness is somebody's heart, eventually they turn on people. And I've seen this time and time again. And and here Paul is saying, there's this, it's hard to be acceptable by everyone. I'd love to go to Jerusalem and Judea, and just for God to make a smooth path there, that it would be acceptable to the Christians there, the saints of my ministry. And thirdly, that I may come to you there in Rome after he goes to Jerusalem, ministers there in in Judea area, and then he heads out to Rome, trying to go over to Spain, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God. And so, again, I, I can come to you and give you a great message, just saying it was awesome in Jerusalem, awesome in Judea, my travels were wonderful, and the time I get to Rome, I'm strengthened, I'm refreshed, I'm encouraged, I'm not as He had been in some places beaten with rods and imprisoned and all of these hardships. But he's saying, pray that my path gets there smoothly. Now, it's interesting because, again, we know the end of this story, don't we? Paul goes to Jerusalem. He gets arrested there. His nephew hears that some guys band together wouldn't eat or drink until they had killed Paul, broke into the Roman jail, which was unbelievably risky, and then killed paul his nephew says go tell the captain they smuggle him at night over to caesarea where he was there for two years in prison and they never were really sure why he was in prison and so they had one guy after the next the changing of the government and everything they kept having this guy there and and one ruler after the next would come through felix and and agrippa and they would all paul would talk to all of them they were all trying to figure out Why is he here? What should we do with him? We don't know, but we know if we let him go, those in Jerusalem are going to go crazy. And and at this time, the Roman government said, what's a good ruler? Somebody I don't know about. Somebody I don't hear about. I don't know anything about your area. You're a good ruler. That was their idea. Keep peace. Let us have our wild orgies in Rome without any distraction. And that's the way they wanted things. So If the Jews showed up in Rome and said, hey, we don't like the way things are going on in Jerusalem, just the fact they showed up means that the guy was going to get in trouble. And so they just didn't want anything to be done. So if he could keep from a rippling effect in Jerusalem by keeping this guy, Paul, in prison, they were going to do it. But finally, Paul had to take his citizenship as a Roman and appeal to Caesar. So he ended up going by ship to Rome, but remember his ship shipwrecked on the island of malta and eventually he made it to rome as a prisoner and he came to them it took several years and the time he got there he was a prisoner when he got there and he wasn't that accepted but it was by indeed by the will of god you know we can pray as we think is best but the bottom line is is god is answering our prayers according to his perfect will So Paul didn't have all the particulars, you know. (laughs) Let me be delivered from those in Judea. He wasn't. Let me be acceptable to the saints. He ended up not being. Let me come to you with joy. Well, if you call being a prisoner (laughs) and shackles joy, that he says, by the will of God. And he was, by the will of God. As he writes in many of his letters, Paul, a prisoner of Christ by the will of God. He got what he wanted, the will of God. It didn't look anything like <laughs> he had planned on it looking like. You know, that that's the great joy we have as believers, you know. Just thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we know that God's will is accomplished. He does above and beyond what we could ask or think. His ways are higher than our ways, high as the heavens are above the earth. His ways are beyond our ways, high as the heavens are above the earth. Now, Paul, in his lifetime, I don't ever believe he saw the whole picture. It wasn't until he died and went to heaven. We now can see the whole picture as we today are studying many of the letters of Paul. Where were they written? From prison. I know, and you know, that Paul wouldn't have wrote a lot of the letters. He just would have visited the people. But yet he couldn't visit them because he was in prison. Thus he wrote the letters, which was what? The word of God, the inspired word of God. Now I don't know about you, but when I hear from God, when I am still by myself and there's nothing else to do but to fellowship with him. Paul was a doer. Paul was a goer. He just went. Acts chapter 16, he takes off across Asia, you know, and the Holy Spirit just slams Paul. He's got Luke and Timothy. He's got his evangelistic team and God just slamming him. No, the doors are slammed. He, well, I'll just go up to Galatia. God slams the door. Bethania slams the door. Finally, Paul walks all the way across the country, hits the water. They're at Troas and can't go any farther. Now he sits Sits, making tents, not sure what God has, but he can't go any farther. And while he's sitting, then the Lord gives him a vision of a man in Macedonia and say, Come over here and preach the gospel to us here. So Paul got some money together, sailed across the ocean there and uh, over to the area of Macedonia and land in in Philippi there where, where he began to preach. But Paul was a goer and it wasn't until he got stuck that he set. And boy, I I pray that we're not that way. But Paul now in prison by himself, communing with the Lord, nothing else to do. As he's fellowship with the Lord, he's hearing from God very clearly. And boy, he writes the Bible for us. Inspired definitely by God. But as you read his letters, it wasn't always that clear to him. Now, some of you, may be crying out to God in your prison, whatever that may be. Maybe it's your marriage or your lack of marriage. Maybe it's your kids or lack of kids. Maybe it's your education or lack of education. Either one of those things, having it or not having it, can be a prison. The single person says, oh, only if I were married. The married person says, oh, only if I were single again. <laughs> the couple Without kids are going, "Oh, only if I had my own kid, people with kids going, "Oh, only when they grow out, you'll grow up and get out of the house. Oh It really just depends on your situation, whether it's a prison or not. But I do know that if we'll set still and hear from God, whatever situation you're in, you'll find it's of the Lord. And God wants to work in it, not away from it. Isaiah 43 says, The Lord took me through the fire. The Lord took me through the floodwaters. It doesn't say he took them around him. He took them through him. And so here, Paul in prison, stuck by the will of God. And when he comes to the church of Rome, since he rejoiced in everything, and in everything he gave thanks, as he wrote to the Philippian church from prison. (laughs) We know that he did come by joy and by the will of God. And he says, may be refreshed together with you. And indeed, Paul was. He had people that came and visited him while he was under house arrest there in Rome. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Interesting that he knew God to be a God of peace as he was getting ready to go through a very difficult, difficult time. He was getting ready to leave the church in Corinth, which he had been there for eight months, and it was a very hard thing for him to leave that church. No doubt, he was tore because of that. He also had already been warned in the spirit by the prophet Agapus and by the prophetess daughters of Philip, as he would be on his way, being warned already in the spirit, and they were prophecy, prophesying, just confirming what he already knew in the spirit that bonds and affliction awaited him. So he knew that hardship was coming. He was praying that if it's possible, they wouldn't come. But he knew in his spirit, and he just says, the God of peace. You know what? If you read the scriptures concerning end times, guys, things are going to get worse. Second Timothy 3 says, in the end, perilous times will come. Matthew 24, you'll know the signs and times. Why? Because things will get happier and nicer and calmer. No. Earthquakes, wars, famines, persecutions. All these things intensifying in number and in amount. And as, again, what do you see? On the TV, in the newspapers, in the magazines. Wars, famines, earthquakes. Peace, peace. The Antichrist is going to come on the scene when there is going to be no peace. Men will be haters of one another, and because of the love growing cold, hate is going to increase. Paul had sort of his own little tribulation message there. As he knew, bonds and afflictions awaited him as the Spirit was testifying to him and would confirm it on his way there. But what does he say? The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Jesus says, Peace I give unto you, not the peace of this world, but my peace. I give unto you. Every one of us here tonight, if you know the Lord, then you know peace. If you're living in sin, tonight if you're living in fornication or you plan on leaving here tonight and kick up your porno on the internet or you're planning on going out and getting drunk or you've got some marijuana in your car or whatever, and and well, for you, I, I'm afraid for you. In Psalms 1 it says, the way of the righteous, the Lord knows. But you who are living that life in an unrighteous way, you're not going to know the peace of God. You're always going to be in turmoil. You're not going to have confidence before God. Church is no more showing up going, does God still like me? Why well, I hope he says something nice to let me know that God's the God of love and still likes me, even though I plan on going out and sending my head off. Well, you're not going to have peace. God is a God of peace. And under the shadow of his wings is that strength, is that security, is that rest, is that peace. But if you're walking in the Lord, you're going to have that peace. And Paul is just knowing, man, I'm where I need to be. I'm doing what I need to be doing. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but I know this for certain. God's got a God of peace. God's going to bring us his Peace. Paul there in prison after he'd been beaten with rods. Remember, at midnight, they began to rejoice in the Lord. The God of peace just came upon him in that dark, damp prison. The peace of God just came upon him. And they began to sing and rejoice. And, of course, the Lord began to applaud and an earthquake happened and all the prison doors opened and it didn't always happen. But they had a peace, you see. You should have a peace. The peace of God should rule in your hearts no matter what your situation now if there's not a peace there that peace isn't ruling in your heart it's because god's speaking to you and you're not willing to hear hear it he's telling you of some changes that need to make need to take place some things in your life that you need to die to some things that need to completely be different than they are but you are not bending to his will so the holy spirit is not giving you that peace or giving you that rest because he's saying Change. Bend. Repent. Don't continue in the way you're going. God has something greater for you, especially around the corner, but you're not hearing it. There should be peace. There should be the joy of the Lord in every situation, no matter what that situation is. If you've lost the peace, you've lost the joy, it's because you've lost the presence of God. Isaiah says, My mind stayed upon thee is kept in a perfect peace. Your mind's not on the Lord. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of man. That's why you're not experiencing the peace. So again, just go to your face. Be prostrate before the Lord. Say, God, I am willing. What are you saying? I want to hear it. And here he's saying it doesn't matter. Either way, delivered, accepted, not accepted, not delivered. Come to enjoy, not come to enjoy. I, anyway, I'm in the will of God. I'm going to be refreshed when I come and I know that I'm living a life under the shadow of that God of peace. Now, Paul here, as he's been talking about himself and his own ministry, now he begins to greet those in Rome. Paul has had a wide, extensive travels, and because of that, he has met many people, and many of them have ended up in that capital of the world, Rome. First of all, he says, I commend to you Phoebe." Now, as he commending her to them, it sounds like he's saying, she's one of mine, and she's coming to you, and I give her to you. Accept it. Accept her. And most believe in this terminology that she is the one who's carrying the letter. Now, as we read on, we're going to find that she was probably a woman of uh, sustenance. She was probably a rather wealthy woman. She was well known. uh, Again, because she was wealthy, the travels and understanding travel wouldn't have been foreign to her. But she is simply a sister in the Lord. I commend Phoebe to you. She's taking that book of Romans. Could you imagine carrying the actual original autograph of Paul? I'm sure. I wonder if they understood at that time how incredible that would have been. Who is a servant of the church in Centria. Now, Centria is a small little seaport town right next to Corinth. So it's very possible that's where the church met. Is in that little town outside of Corinth, several miles, and uh, so she's our sister. She's a servant here at the church. Now the word servant there is a word uh, diakonos, which is also translated deacon. It's in the neuter, since it's with a female here, it would be taken on the female understanding, so a deaconess. But it's a rather generic word. As a matter of fact, in John chapter two, remember the servant that was told to go get water. Jesus turned it into wine. That person was called the same thing, a deaconos. Also, the Roman government in Romans 13 is called a deaconos. And then Christ himself to the circumcision, Paul uses that word, a servant to the circumcision, it's the same word. Very possible, though, that she was a leader in the church, a deaconess. Now, in the understanding of the church, there's elders and deacons. The elders are those who take the responsibility spiritually for the church. The home fellowship leaders would be an explanation in our scenario. Or the pastors, I'd be considered an elder. And then you have those who are deacons, those who take on the physical aspects of the church. Remember in Acts 6 when the widows weren't being taken care of, they raised up seven deacons who then took care of the feeding of those widows, making sure they got enough food physically and so also uh, those who would open the doors and shut the doors those who make sure the chairs are set up make the physical aspects of the ministry and the idea is they would free up the hands to those who could minister the things spiritually and it says that you would number one receive her in the Lord in a manner the word manner there uh, is the word pragma where we get our word pragmatic from very practically in a very practical way in a worthy of the saints And this day they didn't have hotels and so forth. So they were saying, when she comes to you, um, make sure you accept her and take care of her while she's there in Rome. Put her up in your house, feed her, do what you need to do as you would assist any saint who is on his way and assist her. You be her assistant in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself. And that word there in the Greek, succorer, S-U-C-C-O-U-R-E-R is a transliteration of it. And it's the feminine word for one to, who, to be in charge or one to rule. And so she's, Paul makes it clear here now that she was a leader, she was a ruler, one who uh, was a servant in the church of many people and even of myself. She was one who took charge and took care of the various needs of myself. Now, I might make note here, guys, that in the Bible, women can do all that men can do except, First Timothy 2 says, teach the men and to exercise authority over the men. Outside of that, the women are free to serve in the church. Now, I believe the number one place the woman is to minister is to the kids because it says that in 1 Timothy 2. The woman is saved, how? In childbearing. Not to actually have kids because we know wicked women can have kids as well as righteous women. But she's saved as she pours her life. As he says, you can't teach the men. Well, who can you teach? Women, the older women. If you're an older woman here, 30 or so. And uh, (laughs) then you're to teach the younger women. And also the children, you're to teach the children. Now the men are to teach the kids too, why they sit down, why they rise up, why they walk along the way. They're constantly in a spontaneous way in various issues of life to be teaching the kids. But women in particular, in a very organized fashion, are to be teaching the kids. That is a place they're to pour their life out. And here they are in charge. She makes, he makes it clear. She assists her. Do whatever she needs because she's a woman who's a leader, a succor, one who's ruled, one who's led, one who's been in charge of things, of many people there in Corinth as well as um, even of myself. I've taken orders from her as she has organized things said, Paul, you know, here's what you need to do. Okay, yeah, I got it. You know, he, he understood. And and I love this because we're to submit one to another in the body of Christ. Nobody's greater than another. We're all equal. Just one's a hand, one's a foot, one's an ear. Can the foot say I have no need of an ear? Can the ear say I have no need of a nose? No, we all need each other. We're all equal to one another. I am glad I have all ten toes. I'm glad one of my toes said, well, just a toe, I'm out of here. I'm glad my toe's there. I walk the best I can. can. I'm comfortable that way. I'm glad. Every one of us are important. And we're to have that submission one to another. Now, there are some people who have jobs that aren't very visible. And it says in 1 Corinthians 12 that we're to work at giving them honor. We're to give them honor. These Some people after third service clean up. Boy, what a job get all the coffee pops and to get all the things cleaned up and put away and up here praying with people and they come up with their wagon saying, hey, you're in my way. Forgive me, I'm out of your way. People look sometimes, hey, he's the pastor, go around. No, I'm not. I'm just a a, a foot. That's the hand. They need me out of the way, I'm out of the way. We're not one greater than the other. We're equal shares of this inheritance we have in Christ. And so he comes and he says, hey, she's a sister in the church. You receive her as you would receive any man, any apostle, any person. You receive her in a manner that's worthy, in a practical way of anybody who would be coming to minister to you. And as she is there and as she comes to minister to you, don't resist her, help her assist her. Give her the ability, the freedom to use her gifts to operate in a way that would benefit and bless the body there. Don't resist it, aid it I've seen her personally rule I've seen her personally run things many I've seen her rule and run and and be in charge of things, and even myself as she planned various things baptisms or Plan Paul's journeys, or whatever it might have been. And he said, you've got a blessed gift in this woman, Phoebe. Don't blow it. Use her. Let God use her. Be open to her. Bless her and be blessed by her. Boy, what a great thing the church is. When the church really operates, when every joint as it says in ephesians 4 every ligament does it share and i encourage you phobies out here tonight don't be phobic be phobe <laughs> you can't outserve the lord give and it'll be given back to you pressed down shaken together running over back into your bosom now, I don't think we should mess up our priorities. You women who have kids, that's I think that's your priority. Teach your kids. Pour your life out into your kids. Be the Proverbs 31 woman who's taking care of the home and making sure things are well, even in the business, helping out. But at the same time, have a ministry in the church, whatever that may be, to whatever degree and whatever season of life you're in. Now, as the kids move out, then I encourage you to start pouring your life now into the kids of the church. Some of you may already be teaching kids in the church, and, and God bless you. But if it's beginning to sacrifice your own family, I don't think it will. Actually, I found that most people learn how to teach their own kids from being taught how to teach kids at church. Most of the gals come, and as they're being instructed how to be a Sunday school teacher and how to work with kids, they learn how to work with their own kids at home and how to teach their own kids. We're in a society, unfortunately, where the younger women haven't been taught by the older women, and about the only time that happens often is an organization such as the Sunday school. So maybe that would be a great thing for you. If you give to that, if you sacrifice and say, I want to bless the Sunday school, I want to teach the kids here, then do it. But what about the home? God will bless your home. God will minister in your home. God will take care of those things. And at any point in time where it seems to be too much, you can always... You're not there. But I pray that many of you who are past that season can get into the Sunday school and gals, be there for the next 50 years. Stay in there. Be consistent. Don't grow weary and well-doing You will reap if you faint not. Stay in that ministry. Continue to work in that ministry. Many of the ladies have gone down to the orphanages and ministered there. How many gals have done such a great work on the mission field? Boy, I'll tell you. Church history is full of phobies who have just gone for it in the Lord. And God has richly, richly blessed them. The church... I can say very matter-of-factly would not be organized if it wasn't for the women, very plainly. If the gals quit working tomorrow, we are in trouble. Matter of fact, if we had more gals working, though, the church would be probably twice better off. However, if we had as many guys as we had girls, I can't say we'd be twice better off. But I'm confident if more women would be involved, They would be twice better off. There's just that gift. God's given that gift, that work that women have to minister and organizing and making a house a home and making a church a comfortable place where people can come without distraction and get ministered to. If you have a ministry, whatever it is, put it into operation and let God richly use your gifts and leadership and develop them in leadership in the church. And I think a lot of gals, again, they're involved in a lot of organizations politically and socially, and and uh, I think they're looking for a place to, to, to minister. And I, I just say, you know what, there is a lot of great organizations. But we all know spiritually is the only thing that really matters eternally, isn't it? You're involved with the lung association. Maybe God wants that, and I, I don't want to encourage discourage that. But even if you help organize things in the Lung Association, nobody's going to heaven because of it, unless you're there witnessing, and God may have you there for that reason. But if you're involved in the church, you're involved in missions, you're involved in spiritual things, you'll have eternal gains as well as the earthly benefits now. But how much more the eternal benefits of seeing people strengthen in the Lord or even make it to heaven because of your ministry? Well. Boy, I plan on making it to verse 16 tonight. Let's let's quickly go through a few more of these, and we'll end here a little bit late. It says, "Agreet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ." Now, Paul's going to actually give a list of 24 different people, 17 men and seven women, and uh, here he's given a, a note of some very good friends. Priscilla and Aquila, in Acts chapter 18, he makes mention of them, um, how they were fellow tent makers. They both made tents together in Corinth for a while, got in fellowship there, and truly was those lifelong friends. You know what? A friend loves at all times. And Paul had in Aquila and Priscilla a lifelong friendship. a matter of fact, William Hendricks, a Bible scholar, makes a note. I want, to, I want to read this to you because he does it so perfectly. It says, During his missionary career, Paul had colleagues and fellow workers, but he deemed it necessary to oppose Peter to his face in Galatians 2. With Barnabas, he had sets a sharp disagreement that the two parted company in Acts 15. There was a time when Paul refused to allow Mark to remain his companion on his missionary journey. He was going to uh, reprimand Judea and Syntyche in Philippians 4.2. Demas, he forsook Paul, went back to the world in 2 Timothy 4. But even though Priscilla and Aquila in a sense stood closer to him than any others, for they were his companions both in trade and in faith, as far as the record shows between Paul on the one hand and Priscilla and Aquila on the other, there was always perfect harmony. Isn't that interesting? We see a list of people who came and went in Paul's life, but Priscilla and Aquila mentioned six times in the scriptures. We're always in perfect harmony with Paul. Blessing Paul. Blessing his ministry. Not in opposition against him. Interesting that four of the six times, the wife is mentioned before her husband. So evidently, She was the more dominant personality person or the person who uh, seemed to have the biggest impact when they went into various places, sort of the take charge. You know, you see opposite personalities attract, you know, and uh, evidently the wife was the more dominant personality. But it says there were fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life. So no doubt they might have smuggled Paul out of town or uh, helped save him, getting word to him about somebody trying to kill him. To whom not only I give thanks, but also for all the churches of the Gentiles. So he says, Not just me have they blessed and, and encouraged me and even saved my own life, but I can say that every church I've ever been to, they've come and ministered to them and the church is better because of it. Paul wouldn't say that about everybody. As a matter of fact, in Acts he makes mention of people that were coming through there and causing all kinds of problems. And matter of fact, he had to go back to Jerusalem in Acts fifteen because of a number a number of people that were coming and bothering the churches but he's saying the churches were better off because of them. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Priscilla and Aquila were originally from Rome, but they had to leave during Claudius, Emperor Claudius' reign, because he kicked all the Jews out of Rome, hated the Jews, so they left. They were tent makers. They were evidently traveled quite a bit. Paul met them in Corinth, but after Claudius died, they moved back to Rome, and now he's writing them saying, hey, and and greet the church that's in their house. So, the letter would be circulated amongst the various fellowships there, and evidently they were home fellowship type of leaders there, had a, a church in their house. Again, the church publicly to have their own public building at this time uh, wouldn't happen, not in Rome in particular, so it was still rather an underground type of church. And so read the church in, that was in their house. Later they would leave because in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 19, Paul greets them again while they're in Ephesus with Timothy. History has it that the church in Ephesus was about 300,000 people that Timothy was pastor of. And so, no doubt, he needed people to come alongside him that he knew very well. Now, it's very possible that they're the ones that got word to Paul about how poorly Timothy was doing as pastor there. He was not preaching the gospel. He was afraid, and he wasn't evangelizing. He was ashamed of Paul. Others uh, that had gone from Rome... uh, Oniferus, who had fought Paul in Rome, was now his close friend. Was bad mouthing Paul, and and Timothy was having a hard time. Going, what's up with Paul? Why is it? Why is he in prison so long? They were saying he's in prison because he's not accurate theologically, and God's slamming him. And 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 he's saying that's not the case. Uh, he told Timothy um, to be a man of purity. He had told him in the first chapter not to be a man after greedy after money. He was struggling in Ephesus, a very lucrative place. Um, And so he greets them there as they had settled in Ephesus, probably helping out Timothy, and that's the last letter that Paul would ever write before he was killed. But he says, greet those that were in his house. Greet my beloved, and he goes on now, to uh, painitas, who is the firstfruits of Acacia to Christ. So Paul's first ministry there in Asia Minor, a first guy who ever came to Christ in Asia Minor, probably... Under Paul's ministry, was this guy Epenitess? Whatever, how do you pronounce his name? I'm going to butcher these names. I'm horrible. But uh, anyway, the guy that first came. Can, have you? Can you say? I remember the first guy I led to the Lord. Boy, I, I hope every one of us can say that we've led somebody to the Lord, and how special that is. That first person who comes to Christ, and then you disciple them in Christ, and to see them grow in Christ. I've never seen a, such a joy. In my life on earth as that joy. A greater joy than any other joy, including getting married, having kids, starting a church, whatever joys may be to you, all those joys combined. There's nothing greater in my heart than seeing somebody not born into this world, but born again. To see them come out of the power of Satan. To see them being set free. To walk in Christ and then to see them years down the road. Walking in the Lord, walking strong in the Lord. How glorious it is. And uh, not just your first one, but many afterwards. uh, Just rejoices my heart. And so here he's he's just going, yeah, that's the first guy that got saved. Tell him hi too, you know. And so getting to boast a little bit, I led him to the Lord. I know he's a blessing there in the church of Rome, but let you know I led that guy to the Lord. He's the first guy I led to the Lord. And also greet Mary. Notice here another gal who labored much for us. The word here for labored is the word, um, oh, it starts with a K, cupio, I believe is the name of it. And it means to labor to exhaustion. The, the concept is, is you're working so hard till you pass out. And he says, that's Mary. That gal, she just works until she passes out. She just is that hard of a worker. And I find that interesting because you remember in Luke chapter 10, the story of Martha and Mary and how Martha was working feverishly. And she says, Jesus, don't you care? Tell Mary to get up and help me. He, she was sitting at the Lord's feet. He said, Martha, Martha, you worry yourself about so many things, but Mary has chosen the good part and it won't be taken away from her. He wasn't saying that Mary is not going to get up and work with you, Martha. Forget it. You just do all the work yourself. Jesus wasn't saying that. He was saying, after you've set for a while, then you'll get up. And how will you work? Feverishly. You know, I think we've got to be careful here, guys, to say, well, I'm one who's just sitting at the Lord's feet. Yes, we are all needing to sit at the Lord's feet. If you got up today and started working and cleaning the house and getting everything done and uh, I got to go to work and you didn't spend time in the Word, you blew it. It would be better to have spent time with Christ and have a dirty house and leave behind and, and come home and clean it at night than not to have spent time with Christ. That's number one. That's the best part. That's the number one thing. That should never be taken away from you because of urgency, because of busyness, because of a dirty house, because of Whatever. Make sure your life revolves around getting up the first thing in the morning to seek the Lord. That's your whole life. That's number one priority. Everything else revolves around that. Many people stay up too late, can't get up early, and that's wrong. But after we have spent time at the Lord's feet, then we become a Martha. We become the phobies. We become the Marys. Paul says, I labor more than all, but not I, it's the grace of God. Guys, we need to work, Jesus said, while it's still day because the night is coming. You say four months and yet comes the harvest. I say to you, the field is now white unto harvest. And I, and I say to you guys, the Lord's coming back soon. Store up treasure in heaven one way is by laboring in the things of God. And I understand that it is Labor. If you were to go downstairs right now and talk to the Sunday school teachers that are teaching your kids there tonight, they didn't walk in full of energy, oh, this is great, you know. Believe me, they are tired. They came in tired. They're going to leave twice as tired. But they're there because they love you. They're there because they love your kids. They're there because God has called them to labor even unto exhaustion on Wednesday nights. And I say to you, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Well, I'm just too busy. Somebody else is going to have to do it. You don't know my schedule. You know what? Everybody's schedule is just as booked. Everybody's life is just as difficult. The guys go out to the prison two or three days a week, out there ministering in the prison. 45 minutes to drive out there, spend a few hours. The guards put them through difficulty to get in the prison, to get out of the prison, but they're there. Many laboring to visit those who are sick. There's been some people in the church who have been sick, and for months, one particular family for over a year, the Marys in the church got together and brought them a hot meal every single day, seven days a week. That's the way it's to be. But you, you see, can exclude yourself. Well, I I would love to be one of those people to take the hot meal over to the sick person, but you don't understand my situation. I, I doubt it's any different than any of the other women who are taking the food over. Many out of poverty still made a meal for somebody else. Many out of difficulty still made it. And so I encourage you in the Lord to work, to labor, as Mary, who is now mentioned Not only in this book, but in the book of life. Here it's mentioned to exhort you. Paul's writing to exhort the church in Rome. To exhort them saying, I know what kind of person Mary is. Now who is really saying this? It's God. This is the word of God. Paul is being moved by the Holy Spirit to let us believers, people in the church know, Hey, I know who's laboring to exhaustion in the Lord. I'm taking note of it. And the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm commending this one gal named Mary who's doing what she's doing, but I'm telling everybody, guys, you're not going to get to heaven going, oh man, I shouldn't have spent so much time in the things of the Lord. I should have gotten a few more movies before I end up coming to heaven. You know, I I should have read a couple of Western novels before I made it to heaven. There's none up here. I spent so much time reading my Bible and Spend all my money helping missionaries out. And I I don't know why I wasted so much time in the church. I I guarantee you, nobody towards the end of their life, and especially in heaven, is ever going to feel that way. People, as they start to get older, look back going, I wish I'd used my youthful strength more for the things of the Lord. I can't physically do it anymore. And in every way, I encourage you, take note. We'll stop here tonight. There's some more people, boy, I really want to make note of. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we look at these things, we just really want to take time to think about it and let you exhort us in it. God, what is your spirit saying to us? Lord, as we think about Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila and and Mary, Lord, we, we ask that you would speak to us. Hmm, about the gals in the church, Lord, that you want to raise up in leadership and, and really taking charge in, in some of these ministries that you want them to work in. Lord, and the men, Lord, to definitely be men and to work in the things of the Lord. And for those Aquilas and Priscilla's, those husband and wife teams, Lord, just encourage them. And Lord, I just pray also for the Marys in the church, Lord, who under exhaustion, and here you're taking note of it, just don't weary in well-doing. Encourage them, Lord. And, and for many, Lord, who make themselves an exception to truly serving, Lord, help them. Help us all, Lord, to truly live a wise way, storing up treasure in heaven for that day. And, Lord, I want to have been a good shepherd, to have warned everyone with all exhortation and rebuke and long-suffering, to have done all they can for eternity. Lord, help us night to grab a hold of eternity to grab a hold of an eternal perspective, to put our minds where things are above the right hand of Christ and not on the things of this earth. Be glorified, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you all.